Good morning again. I am so glad you're here. I have been looking forward to this day. Today is the day we begin a brand new teaching series on the Gospel of Matthew. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I, uh, boy, I tried to think of so many different ways to cleverly introduce this new series, but I couldn't think of anything better than just rolling up our sleeves and diving right in. Let's get right to it. Matthew 1.1. I will say this. Some of you are new uh, to First Baptist. There's a little bit of a house rule here that if you find yourself in church on the opening day of a series, you're contractually obligated to attend every Sunday until this series ends in 2026. There's, a, there's some nervous laughter there, I can tell. Uh, he's kidding, right? Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Can we do that? Can we just roll up our sleeves and dive right in? It's a new series. Here we go. <clears throat> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. <sighs> And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, or the Messiah, if you prefer Greek, the Christ, 14 generations. And the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the, the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name 
Jesus. I was thinking this week, I don't know, maybe once in all my years of pastoring have I <clears throat> preached and read aloud in its entirety the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew. And I thought as I'm doing that, wh- wh- why haven't I done that? Why don't I do that? After reading it aloud, I thought, oh, oh that's why. <laughs> I mean, why a genealogy, right? Why start with a genealogy? Has there been no other beginner Bible reader who begins and they're given a Bible and you think, well, I don't know much about Christianity. I don't know much about the Bible. I would start any other book. I would just start at the beginning and work my way through. And so you get to Genesis and it's not too long before it's in so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. So you go, what is going on here? And so you kind of skip and fast forward and you ask a more mature Christian, what do I do? And they say, well, I'll tell you what, just start with the New Testament. And so you go, okay. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> John begins his gospel. You know, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus. John begins his with this profound theology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Uh, uh, Luke, the detail, precise. I was running the other day with an engineer, and he goes, my favorite gospel's Luke. I said, it would be. Yeah. It's very deep, you know. He begins, I have labored to give a careful and exact historical account because other people have been given these accounts. I want to show you exactly what happened from Jesus. Mark, who's just like, it's action. Let's go immediately. He jumps in with John the Baptist. No intro. Why Matthew? Why this genealogy? A genealogy does two things, doesn't it? Even today, a genealogy does two things. And it's really the same thing. It roots us. It roots our identity in the past. And it's a way of explaining who you are. If you are from, this is one of the glories of being raised in Coleman, Alabama. If you're from here and your parents are from here and your grandparents, you may not realize this is a special thing. But those of us who are not from here would come in. What happens is when you watch two Colemanites and they're trying to figure out who a person is, what do they do? Well, okay, well, what's the maiden name? Okay, well, who's she kin? Okay. I have literally heard, I thought it was a joke. I've actually heard two people say, how's your mom and them? <laughs> this genealogy is Jesus's mom and them. <laughs> what do I mean by that? It's rooting Jesus in a family. And who's Jesus's family? Matthew is a Jew. Matthew's a child of Israel, ethnic Israelite. And the one thing we're going to see in the book of Matthew, it broke his heart that his fellow Israelites... We're rejecting the very one who came from the lineage. Of, well, he was a child of Israel, born to save his people from their sins. It broke Matthew's heart that his own people were rejecting him. So the first thing he's trying to show is Jesus didn't just come out of the blue. He didn't just come from nowhere. He's not out of the blue. He's out of the blueprint. He's been the plan all along. There's a famous uh, 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 theologian, uh, uh, British, he, he, he died recently, and I love what he says. He says, you know this little white page between Malachi and Matthew? He said, I wish that weren't there. I wish we'd tear that out of our Bibles. Because it, if we're not careful, we think these are two separate stories. And Matthew's here to tell you, no. No, no, no. No, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that's been promised. 
And so he's showing us, uh, uh, he's rooting us and trying to show us who is this Jesus. And that's the answer, that, 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 that will form the framework of our sermon this morning. I'm trying to introduce Matthew, but also give you chapter one here. Who is this Jesus? We're going to see this question that is asked throughout the gospel. People are going to look at Jesus and they're going to go, who is this guy? Remember the disciples when Jesus calms the storm? Who is this? And that even wind and wave obey him. Remember when he teaches, they want to know, who is this that teaches with such authority? So who is he? I'm going to go through who Matthew in chapter 1 says he is, and then I'm going to do something that is a risk for every preacher. I'm saving the application of who he is, the application for your life till the end of the message. The reason that's a risk, there's no guarantee that everybody's still with the preacher by the end of the message. And so you try to give application along the way. I'm taking a risk here and hoping that you'll be with me as you see who Jesus is, and then each of those has direct application to your life. Here we go. Uh, Matthew gives no fewer than four names or titles here. Uh, three are plainly seen. One, I think, is implied. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you the four titles, and that'll form the outline. Here's the first. The book of the genealogy. The book of the genealogy of who? Jesus, that's Messiah, you, Jesus Christ. What's the first thing out of the gates? The son of David. So if we could just put that first point up there, I realize that's probably not fair to tell you here's the first point and then to go immediately to the verse. There's, there's the first name. Thank you. Messiah, son of David. What's the application here? What, where are we going to be going with this? This shows that he is the kingly one. This kingly Messiah figure, this anointed one, the son of David, shows that he has what? All authority. Kingdom is an important word in Matthew. Jesus comes in the line of King David. So, he's a Messiah figure. He has all authority. Now, you can put up verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he's the son of David. Okay, King David. Now, church, why is King David important? Oh, if only we had a sermon series on Samuel. To teach us about David. I'd be glad to go back through it. Uh, here's why this is important. Because God had made a promise. What is that? 28 generations before and said this. There will always be a king seated on the throne of David. David's line will never lack for a king. There'll always be a king forever in the lineage of David. That may not be an important promise to you. That may not be something you think about a lot. That is the A number one problem of the Old Testament. That is what consumed the people. How can God fulfill that promise? And he made it. It's written down. And you know exactly where it is. You know where God's covenant with David was made. It's in 2 Samuel 7, 16. And you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> 2 Samuel 7, 16. Let's review the covenant. You remember this? <clears throat> and your house. Remember, God says to David through the prophet Nathan, your house, David, your house. Remember this covenant? Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Let me say it again. That may not be a high watermark for you in the Old Testament. You may not, as you think about the great scripture passage of the Old Testament, that one may not be high on your radar. I assure you that is high on every ancient Israelite. That's all they're talking about after David. How can God fulfill this? Why? Because it sure, it sure looks dicey that that's going to happen. 
Can you imagine? I mean, look at some of the names in this genealogy. How is God going to honor and fulfill that when you got a guy like Rehoboam? Rehoboam, you all know him. Uh, remember, he, 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 the kingdom splits. Now you got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, a divided kingdom. How's God going to fulfill that promise? You got Abijah, the father of Asa, who joined Syria to attack the northern kingdom. Come on, what are you? Manasseh, so evil and no prophet there to stop him. The father of Ammon, just as evil as his dad. You might say Josiah is a bright spot, but it doesn't last long. The Babylonians, according to the genealogy, the Babylonians come along, take them into exile, burn the city to the ground. Has God given up on us? Have we fallen too far? Maybe we don't, maybe that's it. Maybe we don't deserve to have God honor this covenant. And that's a fact. We don't. And then I mentioned that page between Malachi and Matthew, that, that page, you hear it? 400 years of silence in that little page. Can you imagine? 400 years of silence between Malachi. And maybe in that 400 years of silence, you start to think, I don't know how God is going to honor a promise that there'll always be someone on the throne of David. And here, of all the ways for the New Testament to begin, Matthew is saying, behold, the king. He's the one you've waited for. He's the one who absolutely fulfills that messianic promise. God made that promise way back in 2 Samuel. And here, it's kept. Jesus is king. He has all authority. And he is the answer to the number one uh, uh, question of the Old Testament. Who is going to be this coming king of David? And once you see that as the question, so many references to David in the New Testament begin to make sense. That's why they're all... Why do you think they're always calling him son of David? Once you see it, you see it everywhere. In fact, when the angel announces to Mary in Luke's gospel, he will be great, and he'll be called son of the most high, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And you go, of course, he's the fulfillment. He grows up, and what happens? You see 2 Samuel 7 come to life in Jesus' life. The poor and the sick cry out. What do they cry out? Have mercy on me, son of David. In other words, if you're the king, if you've got all the authority, command these demons to leave. Command this sickness to leave. The word on the street starts to spread. You know he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David. He heals a demon-possessed man in Matthew 12. And look at this scripture. All the people were amazed. And what did they want to know? Is this it? Can this be the son of David? At the triumphal entry, when, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, David's capital city, what were the exact words of the crowd? What did they cry out? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. He died on the cross. The third day he rose again. And now we know after his ascension, we know we can say there is forevermore a king on the throne of David and he will reign forever and ever. Promise kept. Revelation, here's how it all ends. Revelation eleven fifteen, The kingdom of the, the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The very last page of the Bible, Revelation 22 just a few verses from the end. I, Jesus, he says, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. It's me. I am the root and the descendant of David. Case closed. 
The whole Bible tells one story. God is a God who keeps his promise. When God says, I'll be their God, they'll be my people, he means it. Death cannot stop the promise of God. Sin cannot spoil it. Time cannot diminish it. And that's why Matthew begins the gospel with that son of David line. He's saying, Jesus is king. He has all authority. There's application for that coming, but that's the first point. Messiah, son of David, all authority. Got it? That's number one. Number two. He's not only Messiah, son of David, all authority. I hope you already have that one written down. But notice the second thing that this verse says. He's the son of David, comma, son of Abraham. What's the importance of that son of Abraham? Not only is he the king, the messianic descendant of David, but he's also the son of Abraham. Why is Abraham important? Because in Abraham, all the nations are to be blessed. So not only does he have all authority, the, the, the significance of son of Abraham, all nations. Now, just like God made a covenant to David, and I suppose if you are not like me, if you are not uh, ethnically Israelite, you might scratch your head. And you might say, well, if, I follow, if I'm following what you're saying, preacher, You're saying that promise was a covenant. That's what we call those promises. We call them covenants. That covenant with David, that's really good if you're part of, you know, the Israelite people. But I was born a Gentile. I'm I'm not part of that people. Is there any promise for me? Yes. You're actually included in that promise because there's an even older covenant that names you. And that's the covenant God made with Abraham. This one, you'll have to go even further back in the Old Testament from 2 Samuel. This one, you'll have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember God's covenant to Abraham? I'll put it up here. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram. See, back then, that's the point. He wasn't even Abraham yet. He, he, technically, he wasn't Jewish yet. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Here's the covenant. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Interesting. He's saying, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Why? So that you can hoard all of that blessing to yourself? No, just the opposite. So that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations of the earth. That very last line, can you focus on that? Can you think about that? God chose one man, Abraham, and his goal was never to to keep all his blessings locked up in this one family. No, through Abraham, he wanted all the nations to be blessed. And once again, as you read through the genealogy and you think through the history of Israel, you go, maybe this promise is in danger. How can God fulfill this? How can the Messiah of Israel possibly be a blessing to all the nations when so many times in the Old Testament, uh, though it's prophesied, though Isaiah picks up on this theme, all the nations are going to be blessed through Israel. More often than not, we see Israel as an enemy to the nations, that there's fighting and there's the exact opposite of all this blessing. So how can this be? And again, Matthew is here to announce, nope. And he signals it in the genealogy. Did you notice how many outsiders are in this? He's got Ruth in there. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth wasn't ethnically part of Israel and yet written into this story, I think to foreshadow that he intends to come and bless all the nations. God made the promise to Abraham, in you all nations will be blessed. 
it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In fact, throughout the book of Matthew, I hope that just like you did with Samuel, just like some of you, I hope, did with 1 John and Isaiah and all the series we've been through together, I hope you will, on your own, uh, take a little homework. Read a little bit of Matthew. Uh, uh, read some and, and, and read some more and read back over it. And as we go through the series, as you read, watch how many times in Matthew this all nations gets picked up. Watch how many times outsiders seem to get in. And the insiders seem to be the ones who are left out. The outcast and the, 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 the one who you would think would want nothing to do with Israel's religion. They're the ones who seem to fall in love with Jesus. And the religious established elite and the ones who have every kind of, I guess, I don't know what you'd call it, religious pedigree, they're the ones who reject him. Watch how many times you see that. So there you have it. Messiah, son of David, means all authority. Jesus, the son of Abraham, means he's here to bless all nations. Now this third one, Jesus the true and better Moses. Got it? First, Messiah, son of David. Second, son of Abraham. Now, tr Jesus, the true and better Moses, means there's allegiance to all commands. A new teacher has come, like Moses. Remember, Moses brought God's law to the people. Jesus begins bringing his teaching uh, to the people. This one's less explicit in chapter 1, but I hope as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, how many times, how many discussions are about Jesus' connection and relation, and most of all, his fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Count how many times you see that. They ask him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Teacher, the law says this. What about the law? Even the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a, a teaching. But you have heard it said this, and he'll quote a law of Moses, but I say unto you. What's he doing here? He's showing he's not here to abolish the law of Moses, but he's the true and better Moses. He's the one that Moses points to. He's here to fulfill the law of Moses. Uh, look at uh, uh, the verse we read, 121, she will bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Jesus, of course, uh, they would have said Yeshua, right? That's how we translate Jesus into English, Yeshua. Uh, in English, we, we might say Joshua. It's a very common name. It just means, well, it means the Lord saves. That's why he says you'll call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. It is a common name, uh, so common that they had to call him Jesus of Nazareth uh, to distinguish him from all the other Jesuses in his synagogue school, right? He obviously is common. Who is Yeshua? Well, Joshua in the Old Testament is the one who came after Moses. Moses was God's chosen deliverer to deliver the people who were in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. Jesus came, the Bible said, not just to deliver from bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt, but to deliver his people from their sins. Jesus is a new authoritative teacher that comes on the scene like Moses. If you think of some of the parallels, Moses came up out of Egypt. Remember, Matthew will tell us Jesus, he had to go into hiding in Egypt and then come up out of Egypt. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, you remember, went into the wilderness for 40 days. Moses goes up to the mountain to receive his law and his teaching, and Jesus gives his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the mount. All these parallels. Way back in Deuteronomy 18, it's, a, it's another promise. Moses promised, God would send a prophet like me among you. Listen to this promise. This is Deuteronomy 18, 15. You see all these Old Testament threads that Matthew picks up. This is Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God, Moses says, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
God is saying, just like Moses is going to give some teaching to follow, he's going to deliver them. God's saying, I'm going to, there is one to come. And one last little note about Moses that is, uh, that is interesting. Uh, almost every commentator agrees. When you look at Matthew, how do you break down Matthew? And as you read it, maybe you've been struck by this. If you have a Bible that puts the, letter, the, the, the words of Jesus in red letters, it'll be even more obvious. Matthew, you notice, has these big chunks of red letter pages. And then there's some action between, and then there's these big chunks of red letter pages. So every commentator agrees there are five, they don't call them chunks, that's my word, <laughs> there are five discourses, five teachings. The most famous is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the first one. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. But, but, but there are four more after that. And in between, there's little teachings of uh, uh, little things that happen and commentary about it. Then it'll bring up another discourse. Then there'll be some action and some things that happen many times that will illustrate what happened or what will come before. Then there'll be a third discourse, fourth, and the final discourse. Several commentators point out that here, could it be, that's one more parallel to Moses. Jesus gives his five teachings paralleled to the five books of Moses. The Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, the, right? Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And here Jesus gives his five, the new and better Moses. Look for that. Well, one greater than Moses, of course, teaches with authority and his commands are to be followed. And Matthew, you'll see in Matthew, he doesn't pull any punches. If he is the king, if he has all authority, if he is for all nations, then like Moses, his teaching demands all allegiance. That we are, Matthew is no doubt, he is after discipleship. If you're going to follow Jesus, it means allegiance to all that he has commanded, all his commands. Now, last one. I told you the four titles here. First, Messiah, son of David, which implies he has all authority as the kingly one. He is the son of Abraham, which means, like that promise to Abraham, all nations. He's the true and better Moses, which means there must be allegiance to all his commands. And near the end of the chapter, almost as if to sum up all the names of Jesus, Matthew quotes Isaiah, who says he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that promise is for always. You got it? Emmanuel, God with us. Let's read the relevant text. It's from uh, chapter 1. We just read it. Let's see it again, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And the prophet there is uh, the prophet Isaiah. That's uh, uh, Matthew 1, 22. Behold, here's what the prophet says. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's verse 23. There it is. Emmanuel. God with us. God will be with his people always. Now, where would you go in the Old Testament? I, I tried to point us to some Old Testament markers along the way. For David, I pointed us to 2 Samuel 7. For Abraham, I pointed us to Genesis chapter 12. For Moses, <clears throat> I pointed us uh, to uh, the, 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 that prophecy in Deuteronomy that one will come after. There are so many places in the Old Testament where the heart of God, Emmanuel, God wants to be with his people. I, I could have gone all the way back, I suppose, to Genesis, where God apparently walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. But maybe the most famous is this prophecy of a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He goes on to describe how it's different from the old covenant, how this will be not, 
I won't write the law on the tablets of stone. I'll write it on their hearts. People are going to know me intimately. And here's the point. Verse 33, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jesus is God in human flesh. Matthew saying, God with us forever. No matter how much humans have sinned, no matter how much they have fallen, he will get to us. He is faithful. Isaiah promised he would be God with us. He would be Emmanuel. Matthew is saying, promise kept. If you want evidence of the faithfulness of God, despite human sinfulness, then Matthew says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. How is Messiah going to come with all the mess and the sinfulness of human beings? How is he going to fulfill that, that promise to David? Check out this genealogy. <laughs> How is he going to fulfill that promise to bless all nations? Check out this genealogy. How could he possibly want to bring new commands? Check out this genealogy. And why on earth would he want to be God with us? Surely our sinfulness could keep that from happening. He says, check out this genealogy. Did you notice the characters in this thing? Jacob, the trickster. (laughs) Judah, who threw Joseph in the well and left him for dead. Tamar. There's a story. Tamar tricked her father-in-law by posing as a prostitute and bore sons. Ruth wasn't even in the family of God. She was a Moabite. And Manasseh, I don't even know where to start with that guy. At some point, right, at some point, if this is the list, at some point, wouldn't you think God would say, I'm going to give up on the whole program? Wouldn't God have every right to say, I made this covenant with you, and I've kept my end of the covenant. He was faithful to every one of these, and they were so unfaithful. Wouldn't you think at some point God would just give up? Wouldn't you think in this 400 years of silence, at some point God would give up? Do you know how many people I talk to, they wouldn't vocalize it, but in their heart of hearts, they wonder deep down, don't you think God's just going to give up on me? I've sinned too far. I've fallen too far. You can be forgiven once or twice. Everybody makes mistakes. I understand. But how many times have I had to go to God and repent for the same thing? And, oh, it's me again, Lord, and it's that again, Lord. Over and over. Won't God just give up? And every time, let this bolster your faith this morning. Every time you read this genealogy, he gets to Christ. You go back and look. And every time, every, you know, a lot of times we read it around Christmas. Every time you get to that, you go, huh. There it is. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. Every time we get to Christ. And you want to say, at the end of this, you want to say, wow. Wow. He did it. We've been, look at this list. We've been through murderers, conspirators, doubters, haters, prostitutes, liars, cowards. And every time, he never fails. He gets us to Messiah. It always looks like it's going to be, well, then Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot, you know what? Ammon begot no one, because God smote them all from the earth. End of story. (laughs) That's what you think. No one can blame God if he did. But every time he gets to Messiah, God will not break his promises. So, for every time, if you've wondered, has God given up on you? Reread Matthew 1. Reread the genealogy. You say, I, I, I can't pronounce these words. I can't either. I made those up. But if you say them with confidence, people, it's okay. <laughs> but you'll get the point. You stumble your way through that as best you can. Here's why. Every time you feel captive to sin, every time you think, I'm lost in the wilderness, every time you feel like an exile, that's what the genealogy is all about. It's about a people exile. Every time you think, I've 
failed him too much. That's literally what this is about. It's about a people who've done nothing but fail him. And then get to the end and you'll go, well, God didn't forsake his promise. Huh, I guess God doesn't forsake his promise. Apparently, it's God's intention to keep his promise no matter what. So apparently, stay with me, apparently, this whole covenant thing, apparently it depends on his promise, not our merit. I would be so bold to say it this way. When they ask you one day why they should let you into heaven, the only thing any of us can say is, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah and his kin. So forth and so on. And God was faithful all the way down to me. He's faithful to keep his promise. The only hope I have to get into heaven is not, well, look at my genealogy, look at my pedigree, look at this or look at that. Look at Jesus. And look at his faithfulness. And look at what he died to bring us salvation. Imagine all the way up to a little baby in a manger who would one day choose to have me and to have you as he hung there on a cross, spilling his own blood to fulfill that promise to David, to Abraham, and to Moses. So I told you at the very end, I would apply. We can do it quickly, but where, which of these do you need to apply? Maybe just choose one. Messiah, he is the one with all authority. Son of Abraham, all nations. True and better Moses, all commands. Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe just pick one. Which one speaks to you today? Which one do you need to apply to your spiritual condition? For some of you, it's that first one. You need to be reminded this morning by Matthew 1, he is Messiah King. He has all authority in your life. Some of you are in the fight of your life right now. You are engaged in spiritual warfare, and you need a champion. You need a hero, and you have forgotten that with one word from King Jesus... He has all authority over heaven and earth. And you need to be reminded of his authority and his power this morning. You need to submit to his authority. He is the king. But you also need that courage to keep fighting that spiritual battle, knowing that Satan cannot overcome you. Why? Because Jesus is the king. He has all authority. Or maybe it's that second one. Maybe you have felt the sting of rejection and being left out this week. No belonging. Not even maybe with your family. Could it be the best news you could hear could come from Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is the son of Abraham? He has come to bless all nations. All means you. Racism and hatred has no place in the kingdom of Jesus. He's here for all nations. Or maybe it's that third one. Maybe you need to be convicted in a good way by the Holy Spirit that Jesus calls disciples. That means allegiance to all that he's commanded. Jesus above money? Yes. Above power? That's right. Above reputation or comfort or tradition or family or life or breath or everything. It's Jesus above all. And maybe that needs to be applied to your heart this morning. Come and repent for sin. Ask for forgiveness. And rededicate your life to allegiance to all that he has commanded. Or maybe it's that last one. Maybe you need to be reminded this this morning that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us always. I was so struck. It was several summers ago, and I found myself preaching at a youth camp in Texas. I was so struck. Each night they had a testimony. I was so struck by these teenagers and their, each one, their spiritual insight. Uh, I was really struck by it, particularly on night three. This young lady was about 16 years old, 
And she talked about how she had, and, and had this crazy family life and all this stuff. And so somebody had started bringing her to church when she was about 10 or 11, 12 years old. And then she got to middle school and high school, and she ran as far away as she could from God, she said. Spiritually, in her heart, in her actions. She said, I ran as far, as far away from God as I possibly could. And she said, one of the, um, one of the, the big, scary things as, as her friends kept trying to get her to come to church and she was giving her testimony. She said, one of the things that scared me the most was she felt so far from God. She had run so far that she thought, if I turn in repentance and start my way back to God, A, how will I ever find my way back? And I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the spiritual means. I don't have the spiritual resources to make my way back to God. I've run so far, I'll never make that journey home to God, even though I know it's the right thing to do. And she would come to these camps, and she would hear about repentance, and she'd say, but it's just too far. And so she's telling all this group of her peers, I couldn't believe this insight. And she said, what struck me is, when I turned around, I was shocked. There was God. She goes, I don't know why I never considered that. There's no road back. As I was running, he was pursuing. Why? Because he made a promise. Emmanuel, God with us. So you, don't, you don't turn and fill yourself up with the spiritual resources to begin the long journey back. Repent. And look who you'll find. Look, look who's here among us, right here with us, God with us. I want you to see these themes as we go through Matthew together. Now you know how the book begins. Messiah, son of David, all authority. Son of Abraham, all nations. True and better Moses, all commands. Emmanuel, God with us always. The musicians are going to come lead us in a time of response as you consider this list. Which you need to apply. All authority, all nations, allegiance to all commands. And he's with us always. As I said... Uh, Matthew will develop these themes. It'll be fun to see how he develops them. And if anyone is curious, there are, two types, there, are two, there are two types of people in the world. People who divide people into two types of people and people who don't. <laughs> but there, the other two, I, there are, I've met people who when they read a book, and this is strange to me because I'm in the first type, there are people who want to read how the book ends before they start the book. That's crazy to me, but some of you, you know who you are. You'll do that. You'll read, you'll read that last page, and if you like how it ends, then you, and some, I see couples laughing right now and pointing at each other. Yeah. So here's how the book begins. He's Messiah. He has all authority. Son of Abraham, all nations. He's the true and better Moses, and therefore we have allegiance to all that he's commanded, and he's with us always. Well, let me tell you, forgive me for those of you who aren't like this, but uh, uh, let me tell you how the book ends. The very last verses go like this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, because he's the son of David, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and do what I promised Abraham way back in Genesis 12. Go and make disciples of, say it, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then, because I'm the true and better Moses, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Emmanuel, I am with you always. The very end of the age.
It's going to end right where it starts. That's who he is. Let's pray. God, as we embark on a new series in Matthew, grant to us everything we need to draw from the treasure of your word everything that your people need to be fed and nourished and thrive, to be armored up for spiritual battles that they're engaged in, everything that they need, God, everything that I need, God, grant that to us. And we acknowledge and we know that after we have mined every treasure that we think we can possibly get out of this study of Matthew, we know that at the end there'll be still more. There'll be so much more because your word is so rich and so nourishing for our souls. So God, grant that we could get everything we can that you would have for us. And God, grant for anybody who feels far from you, anyone who needs to submit to your authority today, whatever it is, God, anyone who needs to be reminded uh, that you are for all nations, whatever it is, Lord, grant that we would apply this chapter to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that the invitation is clear. There's sort of four applications there. If any of those apply to you.